How are you? You doing good? Thank you for that. I'm, I know he said that Brady is back and some of you are like, he was gone? So I just take a few weeks off every summer. You know, I'm getting, I turned 56 years old this in January and I, I, uh, these breaks, I didn't stop working. I wanted to kind of explain what I do in the summer. I actually uh, stayed fairly engaged with what was going on at the church, had meetings, went on some trips with people, did some ministry in England over the summer, spoke at a church there, and then took my daughter uh, for her college graduation. Uh, I told her that I would take her wherever she wanted to go. Uh, after she graduated college, she graduated magna cum laude, and so it was an expensive trip. So <laughs> I said, if you make bad grades, we're going to like Pueblo. <laughs> but, if you, but if you make really good grades, I'll take you somewhere else. When she graduated magna cum laude, top of her class, so we went to Africa. So <laughs> did, got to take her down. It was a, really a trip of a lifetime. Got to go to Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa. And if you ever get to see Victoria Falls, anyone else ever seen Victoria Falls in person? It is stunning in every possible way. So if you ever find yourself in Zambia and you have a couple of hours on your hands, make sure you go to Victoria Falls. It was beautiful, gorgeous. And it was a great time to be with my 22-year-old daughter, nine days, just me and her. And that was awesome. You know, the, as she gets older, dad-daughter times become more precious, and so that was really a great memory for me. Uh, got back and really been engaged here. I finished up a book over the summer, turned it in, 50,000-word book. It's got a 25,000-word Bible study that's going to go with it, and then eight 20-minute videos that goes with that. So, yeah, I, you know, I just kind of took it easy over the summer, <laughs> you know, just part-time work on the side. <laughs> So I actually miss you guys though. It, it's one thing to you know, take a break from preaching to give your mind the ability to recreate, to, to come up with new ideas, new content. But what, what I longed for was to be with you. And so I've really been anticipating being back in front of you today, not for what I have to say, but for who I get to be with. And that's you, I love you. I love being your pastor. I love being a part of the church. This is uh, celebrate 16 years as your pastor uh, this week, by the way, 16 years as pastor. So, I, but more importantly, yesterday, Pam and I celebrated 34 years of marriage, 34 years. <clears throat> and uh, uh, she, she's aging much better than I am. And uh, she just had her first uh, speed limit birthday. I said that to someone the other day. They said, oh, 45. No, we're the same age. And it's like, she just looks a lot younger than me, but we're only like a year and a half apart. I think I just got more clicks on the odometer than she does. And she's been, she's led a much better life than me, I think. So, but it was her birthday a couple of weeks ago and then 34 year anniversary yesterday. So that's been a very expensive weekend for me. And uh, so if, if you could give extra in the offering this week, I really appreciate it. Taking my daughter on a trip and birthdays, anniversaries, so we'll be eating sandwiches today for lunch, but and don't, don't feel bad for me, so feel good. All right, we're gonna start a new sermon series today in 1 Kings. Now, if you can find 1 Kings in 30 seconds or less, you're going to heaven, okay? So that means you know the Bible. 1 Kings is in the Hebrew Testament. Uh, so go to the red letters, take a left, and you'll find 1 Kings. Uh, most people believe that 1st and 2nd Kings was probably written by the prophet Jeremiah. There's a debate about that, but some people believe Jeremiah was the author of this book. And let me tell you why I am going 
to take this super serious. We, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we're at the beginnings of a presidential election and I just think it's gonna be so much fun this next year and a half. How many of you are just so joyful and so excited? Can't wait for all the debates and the chicanery, the tomfoolery, the shenanigans. It's just, I mean, I'm just so much anticipation that for all of this that's happening. But I, what, what we're gonna read about in 1 Kings is a cautionary tale. Listen very carefully, New Life Church. What, what we see happening in our culture with our morality, with our convictions is not new. We're not, nothing new is happening that hasn't already happened many, many times with other countries, other republics, other people, other leaders. And First Kings is a cautionary tale of what happens when a group of people turn their back on God and pay the consequences for that. I'm here today, every Sunday, I have one purpose, and that is to call people back to salvation through Jesus. That's why I'm preaching. I have no other agenda. If you think I have some other hidden agenda or hidden motive, I have none. I'm here today and I will be here next Sunday and 10, 15 years from now when I show up, I have one primary purpose, is to call people back to salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will radically change our lives ever. That is the only thing that changed my life. Listen, politics are important, but they won't save us. Politicians are critical for, who, for what they do, but I will not stand before a politician and give a final account of my life. I will stand before a lamb, not an elephant and not a donkey. They may have been on Noah's Ark, but they're not gonna be at the throne when I say, well done, good and faithful servant. It will be a lamb, the Christ, the King, who will look me in the eye and call me to account. So I say all that, and I want to say one more thing. I thought about this a lot. I listened to a multitude of communicators and preachers, men and women all over the world, really, just listening to what they say, how they're saying it, what's the Holy Spirit saying to the body of Christ. Often it's very similar sometimes when I'm preaching through a book of the Bible to be eight or nine other pastors around the country preaching through the same book of the Bible. And I just think well, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to us collectively to bring the body of Christ into commentary or into a part of the scripture. The one thing the last few weeks that the Lord has reminded me of, as I just reflected on who I am as a man, who I am as a preacher, I don't think that I'm the world's best preacher, but I am the world's most sincere preacher. In other words, I, am, I won't preach it unless I believe it, and I won't preach it unless it's first changed me, it really wrecked me. Now, I maybe could preach it better, but I cannot preach it more authentically than I preach it to you. Yeah, I really believe everything I say. I really trust everything that I say. I've really studied everything that I say. I've researched everything that I say. So I'm not doing sloppy work in front of you, but I wanna give you a, a promise. And I want you to hold me to this promise for the rest of my life. I will never preach to you out of fear. And I will never preach to you out of anger. If I'm afraid or if I'm angry, I will not preach. I cannot preach. 
So while I say things with strength, it's never anger. I am never mad at you. I, I don't feel any anger toward people I just, when I preach. I, that does not come out of me. I don't want it there. It doesn't mean that I don't get angry with people. I do. I just don't preach from that place. So I want you to have confidence that when I walk up here on Sunday, my heart is clean. It's pure. This is the best Brady you're gonna get. This is it. I don't get any better than this right here. There's not a better Brady you know, on Tuesday. This is actually the best I could possibly be. I'm on my absolute best behavior right now <laughs> in front of 5,000 witnesses. <laughs> I like for you to try that every week. Be on your best behavior in front of 5,000 people or be at Costco and be on your best behavior in front of 20 people that won't let you know that they know you, <laughs> but they're watching you. So, I, and I won't ever preach something because I'm afraid of something or I'm trying to cause fear in you. And the reason I say that is because some of the, some of the most effective preaching on the planet right now, and what I mean by effective is that it's drawing the biggest crowds, selling the most books, causing the most online conversation is fear-based and anger-based preaching. It sells. I probably could fill this place up three or four times every Sunday if I was just a raging lunatic that was afraid of everybody. It really does, people are afraid out there. And they're certainly angry. I had a guy tell me the other day, he said, Pastor Brady, I appreciate you, you know, talking about hard things. I just wish you'd be a little tougher. I said, you mean more angry? He goes, well, maybe. I said, listen, it takes no courage to be angry. No courage at all to be angry. You know why? Because everybody's angry. It takes courage actually to do, follow Jesus the way he told us to follow him. And if you're serious like I am about following Jesus, it's about to be more difficult to follow Jesus in America than it's ever been before. Let me say that one more time, New Life. And again, that's not to make you afraid. I didn't say that out of anger or fear. It's the truth. If you are serious about following Jesus the way Jesus told us to follow him, take up your cross and follow me type stuff, it's about to become more difficult to be a convictional Christ follower in America than ever before in the history of my life. But I'm, I'm on. I have said yes to Jesus. He gets my full allegiance. He gets all of my worship. He gets all of my prayers. He gets all of my devotion and no one else. I have to do this. I have to follow Jesus only. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. So if you're in love with Jesus, you're gonna love 1 Kings. That's actually true of any other book, Bible, too, book in the Bible. If you love Jesus, you'll find him in every book that we study. So as we're studying through 1 Kings, would you look for Jesus, all right? 1 Kings chapter three, we're gonna start in chapter three. And we look at verse seven, and the title of this message is Solomon Ask for Wisdom. Next Sunday, we're gonna be in 1 Kings 4, and I already have the title of that message, Solomon Living with Wisdom. That's two different things, asking for it, and then walking in it are two different things about wisdom. So today, I want you to see how Solomon asked for it. Now, I, before I say anything else about Solomon, I don't wanna paint a romantic picture about Solomon. 
Solomon, if you read the end of this book, ends up a kind of like a knucklehead. He, he starts out beautifully. In fact, already by the time I read 1 Kings 3, he's already married Pharaoh's daughter. He's already broken one of the huge commands of the Torah. He's married the, the Egyptian daughter. That's like, think about this. If you know the history of the Jewish people, you were rescued out of Egypt and sent to the promised land. There, God gives you a king. And for that king, in one of his first decisions that he makes is to go back and marry the daughter of the Pharaoh. Now, so this, I'm, I'm, I'm setting all this up. He, this, this boy needs wisdom. This young fella needs some wisdom. He better start asking because he's about to make some serious mistakes. He ends up with like 1,500 women in his life. Like, I think 900 or something like that. It's hundreds of wives and girlfriends. Every day he has a wedding anniversary. <laughs> and he's got to remember all of them. You don't think this brother needs wisdom. <laughs> That's a good pastor joke, by the way. All right. Let me, before I get in trouble, let's read the Bible. And then we'll really get in trouble. Verse seven. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father, David. King David is the father of now King Solomon, if you don't know that. But I love this next phrase. Listen to this next phrase, verse eight. But I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. You know, let me leave it, go back to that. I want you to leave that. That's actually probably a pretty good way to start our day every single day. Wake up every morning, come Holy Spirit. And the reason I'm asking you to come Holy Spirit is I am but a child. The assignment you've given me is much too great just for my own thoughts and reasoning and my own expertise. So Father in heaven, I don't know how to carry out my duties unless you give me wisdom. What a way to start a day, right? Humble, coming before God, admitting that you need him. He says, your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count our number. So verse nine, he says, so give your servant, underline these next words, a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or skinny jeans or wealth for yourself, <laughs> nor have, just making sure you're paying attention, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for the discernment and administering justice. Listen to the response of God. This is how God responds to this humble prayer from an, a, a man who's already sinning, okay? Who's already made big mistakes. This should encourage all of us in the room, by the way. I, I've made big mistakes in my life already. All of us have, we've all sinned. But God wants to give wisdom to imperfect people. Somebody say amen if that's good news. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. 
Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And there's there's a hook here though, there's a catch. There's a condition. Verse 14, and if you walk in obedience to me, if you'll keep your heart turned toward God every single day, if you'll keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, all of us in this room and everyone watching online, all of us need wisdom. All of us need discernment. All of us need the ability to decide what is right and wrong in the day in which we're living. And this can only happen if you fill us with your Holy Spirit and grant us this wisdom. The same wisdom that Solomon asked for, would you grant it to us? We ask it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you agree with any of that, would you say amen with me? Amen. Verse seven, he says, but I'm only a little child and I don't know how to carry out my duties. I believe the first step And getting wisdom is admitting that we need it. I'm I'm stunned at how many people will not stop and ask for help. Come on, all the guys in the room, when's the last time you actually pulled out the instructions? I can do this. How many of you wasted hours have I had at my house because pride tells me I can figure this out on my own? I don't need, in fact, I can't read it anyway. It's so small print. If it's written by 18 year olds and it's 50 or 60 year old dudes trying to pull this together. I need magnifying glasses. I have to call Abram in the other day. Abram, can you read this to me? Because I couldn't even read it with my readers on. <laughs> so we, we need instructions, right? We need someone helping us. James chapter one, the brother of Jesus says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. In other words, he doesn't look at you and say, well, you deserve this amount, you deserve this amount. He goes, no, God actually wants us to be immersed, filled, consumed, saturated with wisdom. Without fault, it'll be given to you. This is, this, is a, this is all throughout the Bible. Now listen, why is this so important? I don't know if you've been following the advancement of artificial intelligence. I don't, if, you, if you're not following them, they're following you, by the way. Whether you are aware of it or not, you have been targeted, and it's been going on for a very long time. And the amount of scams that people are believing that have been generated by artificial intelligence is growing at an alarming rate. I was just in England over the summer, and while I was there, I discovered a scam that was happening there. Listen to this. Apparently, there were some online photos being surfaced around the world on Twitter and Instagram and other places, Facebook, and it was showing these English towns And the caption underneath it said, 200 years ago, every English village had a giant. That nine or 10 foot tall men lived in every village, it said. And they were showing these old photos of these old towns 
there would be the townspeople. Right in the middle of this town would be this massive guy. And they said that he would be, often be used to move boulders in the mines. They, he would do the heavy lifting. When people built a house, he would place the roof on their house for them. It was an elaborate scam. People believed, in fact, they were, they were showing photos of graves that they had uh, dug up and they, were, they showed these long bodies that had been, and the question, there were people now that were really concerned about this, is what happened to all the giants? Well, they're all playing in the NBA now, but back then, <laughs> They were all in England. It's a total scam. And it was all generated by someone that said, hey, let's see if we can get people to believe this. And it took off because it looked really real. There was a photo, I saw it on a photo on the internet. Remember when we used to believe everything we saw on the internet? Listen, you should believe nothing you see on the internet now. And if you don't see it live and in person, be very, very suspicious. Listen, this, this is, I, I'm so concerned, and, I'm, I'm, and you're gonna hear me talk about the upcoming elections more than I ever have. This is my fifth presidential election as your senior pastor, so I know what's coming. It's fun, just so much fun. In years past, I wouldn't talk about it though until the summer before the actual election. I'm talking about it now, the summer before the summer before the election. Because it's already started. Listen, let me tell you what my greatest concern for myself, I'm not gonna speak for you, you might, you might be much more intelligent than I am, much wiser than I am, more prayerful than I am. So let me just tell you about the concern for me. I'm concerned for me and my household that I'm not being told the truth. I have a strong suspicion that I'm being lied to from both sides. Don't get self-righteous on me. I don't think anybody's telling me the truth. But, but, but what, I, what I'm going to say to you now may aggravate some of you because I do think politicians are notoriously double speakers. They do what they have to do to be elected. That's the job is to get reelected. So they tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. And pastors are no better. Pastors, in order to keep people inside the building, keep them in the congregation, resort to the same shenanigans. Tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. Here's what I'm determined to do for the next year and a half. I am going to ask for the truth to be told and exposed in every situation. And I want to have ears to hear and eyes to see only the truth. That's it. I want everything else to flush off of me. And I'm probably gonna lose friends, I'm gonna lose people, I, but I am not going to believe something that I don't know to be true. Tested and approved by the Holy Spirit, by the written scriptures. Listen, I'm asking you to read your Bible more often right now. Read the Bible every day before you go online. Pray every day before you go online. And listen, people who seek God first, this might be the most important thing I say in the next six months. So please write this down and remember it. But people who seek God first make better decisions. I, the, the, the best people I know who are doing the best in business, who are crushing it in the marketplace, who are innovative and creative, who are creating wealth, 
creating jobs. These are people, I'm bumping into them. You don't know their name and they don't want to be known, but they are killing it out there because they are prayerful, godly, diligent people who are seeking God with all their heart, soul, and mind. They're loving their neighbors themselves and they've made up their mind that they're not going to make a decision without the Holy Spirit speaking to them and leading to them, confirming it by the word. People like that will be led well. People like that will flourish and thrive. That's my joy, my hope for you and for me. Jesus actually wants to lead us more than we want to be led. That's actually the story of the whole Bible. Come, come, come follow me. Well, it's gonna cost too much. Come follow me. Yeah, but I have to take up that cross. Come follow me. Yeah, but I have to love a neighbor I really don't like. Yes, all of that's true. But if you'll come follow me, I will lead you. It's, yes, it's costly. Yes, it requires serving. Yes, it requires dying. Come follow me. He's, his, whole, his whole command of the Bible is, come follow me. I want my family back, come follow me. So let me give you a, a definition, okay? What is wisdom? Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever conditions we find ourselves. And it's, it, it is a gift of the Holy Spirit to live like this. So I cannot predict your afternoon today. I certainly cannot predict your Monday because Mondays are Mondays. I don't know what's going to happen with your children when they start back to school. They may, may get a good teacher, they may get a knucklehead for a teacher. I pray for all our teachers to be amazing and most of them are very much amazing. Can we just thank the Lord for men and women who are teaching in our schools in a godly way. But we don't know what's going to happen. What I can promise you is this, that no matter what situation you find yourself in in your school this year, listen to all the school, school age kids, listen to me, no matter what you bump into, no matter what situation you find yourselves in, the Holy Spirit is present with you in that moment to grant you wisdom. All right, so the next question I would ask if I were you, because all that sounds pretty good, how do we find wisdom? The Bible tells us really clearly how to find wisdom. This goes sound so simple. Pay attention to wise people. Who do you wanna be like? Go ask that person questions. Find better heroes. Find a person who's raised their children well. Find a person who's run a business well. Find a person who got through college really well. Find a person who's already played football and you wanna to learn to play football, whatever it is. Find someone who's done it and ask them how they did it. That's it. Find wise people, Proverbs 15, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. This summer I had a, a personal issue arise in my life. And it was a unique situation and in 29 years of pastoral ministry I had never encountered it. Not once had I ever had this thing come to me I did not know, and really honestly, at 20, after 29 years, I don't get surprised a lot, but I got surprised with this one. I went, oh, 
I never have been asked that question and it was serious. So I, I have a rule, I sleep twice and I, I mean I pray twice and I sleep once before I make any major decision. So I, I prayed about it, I went to bed, slept well, got up the next morning, prayed again. So two prayers and one sleep is minimum. Are you catching that? That's good stuff right there. Some of you, there's a lot of people in jail that would not be in jail today if they had prayed twice and slept once. That I'll empty, I would empty the prison system if everybody did this, right? Pray twice, sleep once. So when I did that, prayed, slept, prayed. The second time I prayed, the Lord said, call this person. And it's someone older than me, someone I've known for 30 years. So I called this person and I explained to him what had happened to me. He goes, whoa. Now he's been doing it 40 years, pastoral work. He goes, I've never had that before. I said, I know. <laughs> That's exactly my thought. Now I know you're all dying for me to tell you this, right? And you need, you need to be better people and not be thinking about what you think it is. <laughs> That's all you're thinking about right now. I wonder what it was, I wonder what it was. You don't care how I came to a wise decision. You could care less about all that. You're gonna, all you're gonna talk about today at lunch is, I wonder what that was. The whole sermon. But he gave me unbelievably wise counsel. It like settled my heart just like that, settled my soul. I went, thank you. I, I, would not, I said I would not have thought of that if I had not called you. So this is, this, is, this is so critical for me. It just happened with me. You show me your friends and I'll know your advisors. Show me your friends. That's who's influencing you. Listen, if you're 18, 16, 14, 48, 78, <laughs> don't hang out. You, you need, we need to influence foolish people. Just don't hang out with them. They're not your friends. If you've got friends that keep making foolish decisions, don't be their friend. Pray for them, love them, be kind to them, help them. Just don't hang out with them until they get that better. Because if you hang out with knuckleheads, the spirit of knucklehead will descend upon you. It's easily transferable. I've watched this all my life. It's more contagious than COVID. Knuckleheadedness. Now I'm gonna show you another story here, okay? In 1 Kings. The first story I read to you today was Solomon saying, please help me, Lord. Please help me, I don't know what to do. His successor, his son, Rehoboam, would follow him. So skip ahead to 1 Kings chapter 12. Let me show you the story of two different kings. The first 11 chapters of 1 Kings is the story of David and Solomon. In chapter 12, Rehoboam is on the throne. Then King Rehoboam in verse six consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. So he starts out by asking his dad's advisors, which is what he should have done. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. And they replied, if today you will be a servant to these people, serve them, give them a favorable answer, they'll always be your servants. That is such good advice, by the way. When in doubt, be kind. When in doubt, be nice. When in doubt, be gracious. That's always good advice, by the way. 
If the first advice your friends are always giving you is to destroy or to fight, that's not good friends. Those are not godly friends. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him playing video games and were serving him. I'm not gonna be the old guy picking on the young guys, but listen, just stay with me in this story. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your fathers put on us? In other words, King Solomon had put unbelievable amount of work on the people to build that temple and to build his army. This is a true story. They were exhausted. And all they were asking from Rehoboam is, hey, can you let off a little bit? We are dying. You're, you're working us to death. We, don't, we're, you're, we are dying from exhaustion. Please let up a little bit. That's all they were asking. That's good. It's not a bad question. Your father, looking at verse, uh, uh, tell the people, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. Really, really fine young man here. Just a really, really interesting good person. So give your servant, so give your servant a discerning heart. That was it, don't go back, yeah. He said, I will scourge you with scorpions. Now, I don't know if you know what happened after this, but when Rehoboam said that, the people of Israel split. There was one southern Judah that was basically around Jerusalem, and the rest of the nation formed the northern tribes. It split the entire nation apart and they would not come back together until after the exile. Y'all know where 1 Kings and 2 Kings is headed, don't you? Babylonian exile is in front of them. And what I want you to see is what decisions these people made that led them to Babylonian exile. And one of the decisions, it's not one big decision, it's a thousand small decisions that lead a nation into disarray. And one of the decisions that the people of Israel kept making over and over and again is they refused to follow the wisdom of God and the ways of God. Now counterbalance that with what Solomon had said. Solomon says, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. His son says, you think my dad was a tyrant, I'm going to be an even more tyrant, big tyrant to you. I'm going to crush you like a scorpion. In Philippians chapter one, verse nine, he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Listen to this, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, listen, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Listen, look at verse 10 one more time. Best, pure, and blameless. And it says in verse 10, to test and approve 
to allow. I wanna tell you a story that I think I've told you before. You know the story of 16 years ago, we had violence on our campus. That story is known all over the world. It was the darkest day I've ever had in my life on that Sunday when two young girls were killed on our campus. The story you may not know is that after that happened, a group of us were in the tent, that room that at the end of our property. And that's where a lot of us had gathered. The police were there. That's where I knelt at the feet of Marie Works, who had just lost two of her daughters, and she was covered in the blood of her daughters. She had tried to save their life out in the parking lot. I had knelt beside her, held her hands. Probably 50 of us gathered around her. We were sobbing and praying and crying, not knowing what to say, just trying to be a comfort. When I got up from her, I walked over to the side, and Jack Hayford, who is now with the Lord, he passed away earlier, a year or so ago, and. He was standing beside me. He was in his 70s at the time. He had spoken. He was a guest speaker here that morning. And I remember, I'm 40 years old. This is my 100th day as your senior pastor. I don't know any of you. And it's just, it's just darkness. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by darkness. I don't know what to do. I, have, I don't know what to do. What's next? Nobody knows. Cry and sob is all I knew to do. But I knew I had to say something and lead and I had to take control and I had to, I had to lead the people. I think Pastor Jack looked at me and realizing how I was, it was overwhelming to me. And he comes over to me and he puts his hands on my shoulder and he's like, he's six foot five, six foot six with like a three foot nose. So he looks way down at you. He, like, <laughs> he, he, jo- he joked about that a lot. He's like, I'm sorry you're having to look way up my nose, you know, and so it was, but I, that, that, When he put his hands on my shoulder, I saw his nose, his forehead, his eyes like dialed in on me. He put both hands on me and said, Brady, the Lord has a word for you. And I said, I'll take, I'm taking anything at this point, anything. He says, you will not make a bad decision for 10 days. And he prayed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I felt the Holy Spirit just wash over me when he prayed. Like everything slowed down, my mind cleared up, my heart settled, and all of a sudden, suddenly, I could see things. I understood what to do next. That's why we called the Wednesday night prayer meeting. I, did, I made that decision that afternoon. Every, all the micro decisions with media and all the things that, the, the, the communication with the church, all those things, every decision that I had to make, in those next 10 days, I just felt this clarity this certainty, this holy confidence inside me. And I quite honestly, I haven't felt that since, that strongly. But I'm convinced it's because an older man, a godly man in that moment, imparted something to me. That's why we were able to navigate. And I often, I joked with him, for years later, every time I would see him, I said, could you not have given me more than 10 days? I mean, was that just random? He goes, that's what the Lord said to me, 10 days. I said, 10 years would have been great. (laughs) 10 weeks? The irony of that was on that, was 10 days later is when we buried Rachel and Stephanie. That was their, their funeral was on day 10. The last of the funerals that we did was on that day. 
And I'm just here today to tell you, New Life Church, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil. Because he's with you, his rod and his staff, his wisdom is right there with you. And I wanna spend some time this morning just praying over you as, we, as we're going through this traumatic season. And let's just be honest, this, it is traumatic. The political landscape of our country is traumatic, full of trauma, full of anger, vitriol, nastiness. Can we make up our mind though right now as we go through this, that we are not going to become the angry, vigilant people we're going to be peacemakers, truth tellers, truth seekers, people of God living in an evil world. That's my hope, that's my prayer for me. If you wanna join me, come on, let's do it together. But would you stand with me this morning? Stand up with me. Can you just turn your hands toward the Lord? Let me pray for you. Those of you that serve communion, would you come down and be, just a moment, we're gonna to come to the table and receive the cup and the bread and receive the Lord's table. But before we do that, can we just ask for wisdom? Maybe if you're here today and you just had, you've had a really rough week, maybe you, uh, there's a, a sin that needs to be repented of, a confession that needs to be made before the Lord. The Bible says before we come and take the bread and the cup, this is the time when we should say, Father in heaven, I have, fought, I have failed you. I have fallen short, I have acted foolishly, and I receive your forgiveness. That's all you have to say, Father in heaven, I have behaved badly, failed you, but I ask and receive your mercy and your forgiveness today. Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never even thought about your need to follow this person, Jesus. And the gospel is so simple and so clear and so easy. Christ has already come and made the way for you to find him. He has forgiven all your sins. The sins of yesterday, the sins of today, the sins of tomorrow, that was all paid for at the cross. And all we have to do is say yes. Say, Father in heaven, I believe Jesus is Lord of my life. I choose today to follow Jesus with all of my mind, all of my heart, all of my soul. I wanna give you that opportunity this morning to pray that prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. So I choose today to follow Jesus, to make Jesus Lord of my life. Every time we pray that prayer, we get emails and phone calls from people who said, I prayed that today. And in just a few weeks, we're gonna have water baptism and you'll see hundreds of people come forward because the gospel is still powerful. And the gospel is so simple and it's so powerful and I've not given up on it. It's, it's here today to save you, to save me. Lord, today we say we need wisdom as your people. We need wisdom, we need discernment. And we lift our hands because we yield ourselves before you and admit our need for you. And we ask it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.